This is for the free thinkers, the curious beings that swim upstream, who see possibilities, not problems, that learn from the past, live by the present, and create the future. This is the I Love Ugly Audio Show. A lot of people asked for it, so now we've done it. In this episode, our digital director, Will, goes deep into a conversation with myself on the inner workings of how our clothing collections are put together. From the budgets and range planning all the way to the marketing. This gives you a deep insight into the depths we go to to put each garment together, which you probably weren't aware of. From how we choose the fabrics, how we pick the trends, how we decide which garments to cut in the sampling stage, and how we bring the clothes to market. For all those in the industry, or those that are interested in the behind the scenes of how a fashion brand works and runs, you'll find a lot of value and a lot of enjoyment from this episode. Enjoy. What's up, V? Yo, Will. How's it, bro? Good, I'm good. So take me through it. How does it all start? Where does it, how far ahead does the process start when we're doing these collections and putting out these out of ugly clothes? Uh, so we start, we start six months ahead. So before, before the customer actually sees the product on the racks or on the website, we've started that process six months ago. In some cases, even longer. And then um, at any given time, there's different, there's multiple different collections that are at different stages of that six month cycle. So say for example, uh, we just finished June 2020 collection. So we wrapped that up a couple of, a couple of weeks ago. That was a slightly earlier because Chinese New Year's a little bit earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so basically, you know, we get it all, we get all the, we get the budget. First and foremost, it begins with a budget based off our projected sales and also how our sales have been tracking leading up to that collection as well. And that basically dictates and drives how much money we can spend on a collection. Mm-hmm. So say for example, um, yeah, we have, uh, we call it an OTB, which is an open to buy. Um, for those, depending how advanced or how big the business is, I'd highly recommend it. If you're doing over a million bucks, couple million bucks of revenue in your, in your fashion company or any type of inventory company and open to buy is highly recommended. I'd probably just Google it, what it means, but it basically dictates how much money you should spend on inventory based on the forecasted sales and also the sales which you have been doing. Hmm. Um, so say, say for example, June 2020, it might tell us to spend 200, 250 grand of, of stock. So we get that we get that number, and then our merchandise manager then kind of breaks it down into different categories. So say spend fifty thousand. These are just random numbers: fifty thousand dollars on pants, fifty thousand dollars on watches, fifty thousand dollars on accessories, fifty thousand dollars on hoods. And then from there, we've got for budgets. We've got how much uh, how much is to be allocated towards each category, mm. and then it's over to the design team, and that's where you know we have our meetings with mm. yourself you know, digital, we've got our merch planner and we got our ops planner and even our retail guys as well. And we basically discuss, we've usually got notes on the previous, the previous month from the previous year. So we had all our, as example, we had all our notes from June, 2019, sorry, 2019 yeah, and 18. And this is where it was like, say for example, we were too light on hoodies or we didn't have enough winter socks or didn't have enough beanies or we didn't have enough products that catered to the Northern Hemisphere. And we basically get all that information. This is before we even like design anything. Yeah. We get all that information, um, the design team, 
get all that information and it's like okay this is the this is a starting block yeah. this is how we start so we know what to do what not to do how much to spend and what how much how much to do for each particular category so do you find that the category trends change year to year like so say in, you're talking about june yeah. is that june like what we're what we're putting out is that consistent through the years or do you find that it changes over time i think it changes in the dangerous thing the good thing the bittersweet thing about data is it tells you everything you need to know mm, no but know. it doesn't actually tell you what you're missing so yeah. say for example in june it might say that hoodies were okay like didn't sell very well but yeah. then if you look back we maybe we didn't have enough hoodies in stock yeah so it's a little bit misleading so you just that's why it's really important to make notes and have commentary around what happened from a year prior because mm. you're honestly you're always going to forget there's too many factors in your business mm. and um you're going to lose kind of you're going to lose track of of what what you know what worked what didn't but absolutely man trends change like say for example like this november uh december uh shorts for some reason were didn't fire as early as they did did last year why that is i don't know it could mm. be you know people would rather wear pants it could be the temperatures are getting it's yeah. hot it's getting hotter later like i don't, I don't it could be the product was off yeah. you know and that's why it's so important once you do a collection and release a collection in our Review. case as soon as we release a collection the month after we've got all the data We've got all the fresh reasons why things worked, why didn't work, and just record that. So that way you've almost got like a Bible to reflect on the previous, you know, the next year, the yeah. following season. So yeah, to answer your question, yeah, it's always always changing. It's always, yeah, always tweaking, mm. pulling strings, adjusting. Because you can only know to an extent, right? Like at the end of the day, there is a, like there's a chunk of it that's guesswork that you're yeah. predicting what the customer is going to like. For sure, man, definitely. Well, in our business, you know, we've got our core range, which probably makes up about 70% of our sales. So that's just all our black basic pants and hoodies and tees and this and that. That stuff's cool, and, but it doesn't get people excited. Yeah. And it's a bit, especially in our industry, where we're, uh, I'd say we are a fashion company, and fashion means that you have to innovate and do things differently. You have to be relevant. You have to see in the foreseeable future about what's going to be trending colors and shapes and sizes and um that that's the element of like the risk and the unknown yeah. and keeps things exciting and that's also what can absolutely yeah explode the company into a different stratosphere but at the same time it can also screw you up if you get the balance incorrect if you do mm. way too much out there buzzy stuff and not enough simple core yeah bread and butter stuff Definitely. so how do you how do you fight that balance between creating kind of the simple stuff that the customers like and you know they're gonna like and then creating like that wild piece yeah. that's like pushing the boundary and you're like using more of your intuition and gut feeling like yeah. how do you balance those two i think like having a set of design principles and rules and also over the time like i've been designing now for over 11 years and i kind of know within me what yeah. what works what doesn't don't get me wrong every i'm not perfect every time and that's why we have people like you know we have an open transparent policy within the company and if i think it's personally awesome dope and everyone else thinks it's whack you know the jury has spoken i yeah. just got to go with it and swallow my pride and just can the idea and push harder and progress and try to do something but it's a real um it's a real balancing act but i think so long as you've got that set of rules about you know things like what our formula is. Say, say for example for us it's like we know that if we do something in the middle ground 
where we're trying to push the boundaries and do something real out there, whack, innovative. Um, if we're not pushing the boundaries enough, it, it actually falls short. Like yeah. it's not crazy enough. So for mm -hmm. us, if we're going to go crazy, go crazy. go fully crazy. Yeah, if you're going to go clean, go clean. Yeah. The middle ground for us doesn't really work. And that's, that's just something which I've learned over time. But man, who knows? Like soon that might even change again. You just got to be adaptive. You got to yeah, constantly have those tough conversations and constantly be looking at the data mm. and asking the right questions. You're going to get... You're going to get the right answers based off asking the right questions. Yeah. If you ask yourself, oh, why doesn't this work? That's, yeah. that's a stupid question. Absolutely. You got to, yeah, you got to ask yourself, you got to ask, a even asking a customer is a slave. Yeah, I think that's a really important part you can't overlook is having like a direct, clear, open communication with the customer about the garments yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely, man. Because their, their feedback is just so important. So valuable, man. They, they know it pretty clearly. Yeah. Whereas for us, it's like we have a tendency, you know, to, to overcomplicate it. Yeah. And I think um, just straight down the pipeline, asking them why, I'll, I'll give you the answer, man. But yeah. sometimes at the same time, they don't know, you know, yeah. Henry Ford says this, he, uh, if he asked what they wanted, they would ask for a faster horse. Yeah. Um, and that, there's a lot of truth to that as well. Mm. So, And that's where the magic of, you know, company culture and yeah. being entrepreneurs and designers comes into play because you create things in people's lives that they didn't even know they wanted exactly. or needed or existed. Yeah, Steve Jobs started, was yeah. massive about Yeah, that. Steve Jobs was massive. But what Steve Jobs also did is he started with what the customer wanted yeah. and worked backwards. And I think that's such a smart way of looking at it, you know mm. what I mean? Because the thing is, is like if you just create what you want, I know we always, you and me have these conversations, like I'll, I'll present a range or show you a range and you'll be like, uh, not into that. Um, but yeah. I'm like, bro, are you not into it? Yeah. Or is like, is, it, is that your personal taste or do you think the customer's not into it? And that's like a real mm. important distinction. And we yeah, always- It's really hard balance. It's very fight. hard balance, definitely. Especially, and especially as a designer, yeah? But I've yeah. really learned to really kind of separate myself from it now. Yeah. And that's why it's so good we can be ruthlessly honest and yeah, no yeah, one's going to yeah. be offended which is great and we can apply that to all aspects of the business absolutely you know? yeah and so once the merchandise planner has everything sorted they've got the budget you know yep. this is kind of the silhouettes that we need for this month and everything obviously it flows into the design process yeah from there and so you've been designing for 11 years you said how does where do you like what's your method for that where do you draw your inspiration do you mm. has it changed over time or do you have a set like set design process of how you work mm. that's a good question bro sometimes it just really flows out mm. um almost effortlessly yeah. and sometimes it's hard and um but in terms of to answer it so i basically get i get as much information as i can so it's like okay these are my parameters because the thing is, is if, if, I, if I just go off and try to get inspired, I'm basically, you know, I'm chase, I'm just, you know, working aimlessly. Mm. There's like, uh, there may need to be like a new puffer jacket or jacket. I'm uh, sorry, I'm inspired by a puffer jacket or a jacket, but there may be no need for that yeah. in the particular collection. So I basically get all the information and then I just go off on my, on my rant. I do my research and I just try to get inspired. And I do that, I go to the library on, on Tumblr, I'm researching, yeah. looking at other brands, go to other shops, just try to just kind of get get the buzz mm. the buzz going. But also more often than not, what, what's really kind of got me inspired nowadays is actually getting all the team's inspiration because mm. that's certain things 
that I'm not looking at, so mm. it's new to me. So it just sparks an idea yeah. in my mind. And once, honestly, it can take, what, what's that saying? It just takes like a, a spark to create a bushfire. And it's the same thing for mm. creat creativity as well. One spark, one new fresh idea can spark a whole new collection. Um, but yeah, there's no like set formula. Sometimes sometimes I try to force it. Sometimes, sometimes I try to work it. Sometimes I'm, you know, I come to work six o'clock, six o'clock in the morning. 5:30 in the morning to get into it but i'm just i'm just yeah. not feeling it man i can't feel so it. so what do you do what do you do in those times when you're not feeling it oh uh, what i try to do is i just try to like work for creative just wake up for creative muscle so i'll probably do something else creative yeah um whether it be like say like write, write articles or ah, yeah. or um you know just something to do with like interior design or something yeah. completely different and then once i'm kind of awoken woken up i yeah. then start applying it into garments but I just, and at the same time, I like try to, I just try to chip away at it as opposed to doing it all in one session because it's, it's exhausting. You can spend eight hours in a day designing and only do one t-shirt yeah. or one jacket. But that one jacket can spark the flow and the vibe and the ideas for the full collection. So yeah, it's no real set piece. There is deadlines that you need to meet. Yeah. And I think deadlines are good because they put the pressure, pressure on you. Um, and then also the fact that we're a small team and I'm still doing, you know, now I'm I'm hundred percent designing again, which yeah. I haven't really done on years, on top of my other day to day roles of the company and stuff. That's a that's a lot of pressure as well. But um I just learn to get used to it and deal with it and how would you and, and say how would you say your design process has changed since a decade ago? Way more disciplined because I don't have the luxury of time. Right. A decade ago I could I could run my own timelines just oh, if i didn't meet the 11th of december doesn't matter there's no there's no backlog you know but now we've got factories that are reliant on our orders every yeah. single month coming in but they've also got their own schedules mm. and we've got our timelines and you know production has to get things on sea freight rather than air freight because the thing is if we sea freight if we uh sorry air freight five thousand pieces that's a huge bill and that's going to erode your margin and then she's driven off her, her kpis are, are margin yeah, driven yeah, yeah. so it's just like you know what i mean it's like the repercussions of being late now Absolutely. when you're playing at a professional level can no longer be and i think that's the difference between now and previously is now we've got a whole business that's reliant on running to a strict timeline yeah. and if we don't it's just a domino effect you know yeah. ranges are late you're you yourself you've got your targets to to meet for the online online sales, and if it's running a week late, man, you've got a week of sales to catch up money. on. Yeah, and you know, you know, our business is all based off it's it's products, man. Like, um, people people shop with people are, you know, engage with I Love Ugly because of the clothes clothes we make, and people want newness all the time. They want innovation, but at the same time, they want consistency and the same thing, and they want the same T-shirt always in stock. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's a real, real kind of balancing act, but yeah, and luxuries. And so we put out a collection every month, and obviously that's a lot different to um, other fashion brands and yep. companies. Does that add? Obviously, that adds a whole lot more pressure. Yeah. Instead of doing it um, quarterly, mm -hmm. seasonally, doing it every month, what was the what was the main reason behind chopping it up like that? And do you think you'd ever go back to more of a seasonal thing? Mm. I don't think I don't think we'd go back to a seasonal thing, like say four collections a year, because 
it's it would not, be easier though right like it would be easier absolutely but at the same time i think our whole business model and financial model and everything is built off yeah monthly collections and even say for october True. our anniversary collection we did what was it uh 10 releases, 10, 10 in, 20 releases in 20 days so a release every two days but some of these releases consisted of four yeah. four pieces that was insane. so it was it, it was insane and the thing is is like uh people we've almost trained now our customer to to know that isle of ugly releases sporadically yeah. we've and trained we've, them well yeah we've trained them well and we focus on but i think going back to the other way we've tried to go back to that in the past like which is more of a traditional distribution model where you do four collections a year you're super in advance say 12 months in advance yeah. and then they buy it all it's all consolidated this and that and yeah i, I personally think it's the old model it allows of, you to move very fast as well as well sorry it allows you to move very fast to change if you need to change things up like the, the regular collections yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely definitely man it gives you so much flexibility and um you can do exciting things it's awesome for sales as opposed to getting that huge spikiness because the thing is is like nowadays people see a collection you get these brands releasing and i'm not saying it our way is the best way or the only way but you get brands releasing 100 piece collections and people are sick of it after a week or two yeah but then that's that's them for the next four months that's yeah. all they got to do yeah. and i feel that's pretty it's a pretty risky way to run your business you know yeah you see most companies now that it's just all about newness you got like chocolate companies beverage companies everything they're releasing collabs new yeah, flavors yeah. and and they're doing it regularly and i think you need a you need to do that and then for us to also fill the gaps so we're not just pushing product for the sake of it that's why we do podcasts and mm. other things as well add value in it. other ways uh, yeah absolutely man and so say you've done the design process you've got the first draft done yeah what happens there first design process uh draft done i then send it to uh to you know ops to yourself and to uh melissa in production and what we're getting here is we're getting a full 360 point of view mm. from everybody everyone's got different tastes and everybody's going to be looking at the collections with a different lens in your case you're going to be looking at okay what's going to drive the most based off data what's going to drive the most hype or the most mm. sales or uh or interest or shareability and then for for the operations it's like real what's the most commercially viable thing for the average kind of average joe you know and then you got myself it's like what's what's pushing the most creative boundaries and like really growing the brand and expanding the brand and then you got opera uh you got the production girl and she's just making sure we've got covering all bases for yeah. categories so it's like a real good good way to get a full holistic view of the collections and after that first draft you pretty start you pretty quickly start to see the gaps yeah or where you're too heavy or too light in certain things and once that i basically make everybody give their comments take on the comments no offense taken and then yeah. back to the drawing board and do the draft too usually we probably do about we repeat that process probably three two or three times two yeah. three some cases four times um and then at that point once that's done we're ready to um turn the collection into individual spec sheets and start yeah. getting into the sampling process. So tell me a little bit about that. So you've got the collection and then you're working with production. Yeah. And so you have to go through every spec and every garment. Every single garment, every detail, every button, every zip, everything is, is specified. And how long does that take? It takes like, it's hours. So you've got that, 
you got hours like yeah could be 50 could be a couple of days 50 even. plus hours to do the collection and all the detailing all the artwork and all the trims associated yeah. with it you then give it to production a lot of magic happens in the in, in the process as well yeah so her and me as i get it to a point where I, i've got like an overview of what the garments to look yeah. like and then when i'm handing it over to her and explaining it yeah she's basically recording all the information on the spec sheet yeah and then we're we're vibing and bouncing a lot of ideas yeah. what about this what about that and that's when so we is go, that where you find the actual fabrics itself so yeah yeah and at that yeah. point so we're doing the detail handover the zips, the artwork, the little details, the pips, the labels, and we do the fabric choice as well. Yeah. And that's where, you know, we've got in the back of our studio, we've got, <laughs> I don't know, 10,000 fabric swatches. And a lot of that's hand sourced by myself yeah. in production. And it's not enough. In China, it's not <laughs> enough. Like we, we, we've run out, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so we go for all that and you pick fabrics and you get, you know, you envis envisage it in your mind and it comes back and it's just completely off. and that's part of a game as well, you know? But yeah, that's a very laborious process. And also something to mention as well is majority of our fabrics, especially in our knits and stuff are knitted yeah. from scratch. So we've got a Pantone book. We're picking all the different colors we want. Sometimes we're lab dipping, which means sampling, you know, 10 to 20 different colors. Right. We get all those dips back. They're like a little two by two centimeter or one by one inch square with the colors on it. And these are actual color lab dips on fabric and we, we've got an so it's like you're picking a one color and then they're giving you 10 20 variations yeah. of that exact yeah, color that color or we've got a whole bunch of colors and they're giving variations yeah. of that and we're getting <laughs> we're getting swatches samples of the fabric which we're knitting from scratch yeah. so the whole process for majority of our garments are knitted from scratch so we're a straight not seed to sew but fabric raw fabric grade color to, to full finished garment and that's all and that's all part of the process yeah it sounds like there's actually a ton of detail that goes there's a on. ton of detail and i think you know i take it for granted people take it for granted maybe we need to do a better job of explaining mm. it not all companies do this but for us consistency and quality is a real important value of ours yeah, yeah we want to make it so people can come back in two years three years time and get a pair of our Zesty Smart Pants and it's exactly the same fabric, yeah. zips, buttons, trims, everything. And the only way to do that is to knit it from scratch as opposed to buying market fabrics, stock fabrics. And so when, um, is that the same point when you'll put like, obviously in I Love Ugly products all throughout the history, there's been these quirky little details yeah. that are hidden in all the different garments. Yeah. At what point do you make them and how do you come up with them? A lot what's, of that, the, what's the reason for them? Like, why do you see that's important? Because it's obviously been important enough to consistently do it for yeah, a decade. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think one of the main reasons is this point of difference. And um, it makes it, it turns it from just a regular jacket or a regular t-shirt or shirt into something a little bit special and something a little bit more intimate. You know, we've got like a hidden message or a detail in a garment that people people when you're wearing it other people can't see it but you know you see it you know it it just makes it that much more special that's why we do that we actually need to be doing more of that we've spoken about this but and um but in terms of like when that happens it happens in different stages but the trick is is to try get as much detail and thought and design into the garment once you hand it over because doing it later in the process once yeah. you're in the sampling stage it can just slow things down and as i said we're pretty tight on our timeline so 
the more you can think about it and talk about it and discuss before you hand it over, the better. Obviously, sometimes there's some last last minute changes to improve a garment, but yeah, I'm always now I'm really trying to think about that. Mm. And I'm also trying to get all like the rest of the team to have that whole detail lens yeah. on. It's almost like the next step of a process once we design our collections and it's all together. It's almost like we want to put it on a rack and be like, okay, where's the details? Where's the specialness? Where's yeah. the X factor in these garments? What makes this black jacket different from the black jacket from that other so-and-so brand? So that's something real important to us and something that um, people have really uh, grown to love about the brand. So it's mm. quirks and details. You know, we always have that quote, the details aren't the details of our design. Absolutely. And I think that um, still rings true to, these to this day. And it's a real core design principle of, of Isle of Ugly. Cool. You've handed it over. You've given all the specs, all the details of the yep. garments to production. And then what's her role with all of that information from there? It's basically conversing with the uh, factories. So basically... So they have to just create the document, official yep. document so for Yeah, so it's like piece. a very detailed spec sheet with every inch and stitch detail and all the information in order to get the garment, the first sample as accurate as possible. Right. We're at that point now where we've developed really good long-term relationships with our factories, so they kind of know our level of yeah. taste and also what we would accept and not accept. So it's pretty good, but you're, you're always going to get stuff that just fails, flops yeah. crazily, and it's like, how the hell, how often how would did you... they get that result, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you're <laughs> like is, stressing. It does, it's know? pretty entertaining when it does happen. Yeah, yeah, it's like, what the... How often would you design a garment um gets handed over you get the first sample how often would you just completely cut that product um and be like nah not feeling it sometimes sometimes you want to but i can see what it should be yeah. and the changes are pretty good and that's just ex the, but you know what the changes need to be made to make it pretty good yeah but some from, from time to time if you're in the second or third and it's still a dog you got to call it you got to yeah. make that shot you sorry you got to make that call um, because otherwise it's like, man, if you don't make that call now, yeah, it's going to cost you sampling fees and it's going to cost you triple, you know, it's going to, what, what you'd retail for 130, you'd, you have to pay 250 bucks because of a sampling, but that's far cheaper than producing something subpar Absolutely. and you've ordered 200 of them and they can't sell. So it's real good at making those decisions and making those cuts, but we'll always get, especially now where we're really trying to push boundaries, we're always going to get garments that are just real, just completely off yeah um completely shit and you get stuff that's just like completely blows you away way better than you expected as yeah. well and that's all part of the game eh? like you can see it look it yeah. look it can look super dope on a illustrator file <laughs> yeah. adobe illustrator and then when you kind of get in real life it's completely different mm -hmm. and um that's just that's just part of the game eh? but also factories play such a good such a vital part you know the, their capabilities their quality their standards yeah the understanding of what your standards are, it's absolutely pivotal. And so just on the factories, obviously you've got really good relationships with yeah. the factories we have now. Yeah. How like how long did it take to find the factories that you know that you could create that long term? Yes. Did you go through like a bunch of trash ones? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, man. Trash, lost heaps of money, um, heaps of trash products that we just literally had to dump. Like not dump, but as in like sell for yeah. $5, you know, just to get rid of it or just suck it up and just, just eat store it, yeah. it, eat it, you know. Um, but yeah, factories are like any relationship. They take time. Um, it's a lot of investment of your time, a lot of investment of money. I've been to China, you know, dozens of times. 
spent a lot of money, you know, just just with them and just trying to get to know them as people and yeah. like, which sounds something like you'd never think about it, but it's so important because if they believe in your vision and your brand Absolutely. and you as a business owner, they it's it, that's going to really shine in the product which which they make. But we've had a lot of dog factories over the years and. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, ones, ones that you just pick up on Alibaba randomly and they quote you on a price that's, you know, 50% cheaper than your previous. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's where you can get in trouble if mm. you're solely driven. Like even recently, you know, we got that's a... the danger on price. Yeah, we, we, we put our um, pants, a, a few factories wanted to quote our pants and they came back, ten, like in some cases, $8 cheaper than we're currently doing. We're like, this doesn't sit right. We've got this relationship with this current factory that we've used for eight years, yeah. their quality is phenomenal. Why do we want to change that? Yeah, yeah you could save $8 and probably- and It's pretty just, common that a factory would say, yeah, we can give you this way better course. rate just yeah. to get you just in the door. Just to get you in the door. Mm. Yeah, so, and that's, you know, and that just comes with it as well, knowing that Absolutely. different different strategy. So it has and, to be a pretty compelling reason now besides just, just price to, to switch. Mm. Yeah. So the factories, They've got all the spec sheets for all the garments you've got for a specific collection. Yeah. How long till you get the first sample? Uh, generally, it takes about four to six weeks, depending on the complications. Mm. If we're doing like custom artwork and embroidery and digital printing and stuff, usually we'll get a we'll get a digital we'll get a struck off, which is like right. not in a final garment. It's just like a piece of fabric with a print on it. Yeah. And then while they're doing that, they're making they're sampling the silhouette. And once we improve, approve the strike off and the silhouette, which is usually in different fabrics, not in your finished fabric, they just amalgamate it together. And that usually, that's usually the second sample called a PP pre-production sample too. And then, um, but yeah, so the first sample usually takes about four to six weeks. Generally after that, it can take up to one to two weeks for improvements after that or the adjustments. And then the, yeah, the process after that's pretty, pretty seamless. And then yeah. we get a, so that happens a couple of times. Some cases, like especially for our core products or, or things that we've been doing for years, and we just change the color, or just yeah. sometimes it won't even. It'll just be a straight pre-production. Mm. We'll just get the we'll get the fabric which we approve, yeah. and that's it. They just they, they go for it. Yeah. We have we get a ton with the amount of because you've got collections every month and the yeah. amount of products that are in a collection. We get a ton of samples coming through. Yeah. What's that process like when you're opening it up? Like, it's uh yeah as you, you know, know it could be scary it could be amazing yeah nah it's my it's my favorite part of a job it is it's honest. like christmas almost yeah yeah it is day. it is i saw a package when i left to do to win to do this yeah, yeah. uh and i was like oh man, yeah i went I open to, after i wanted you. to rip into it see what see what it is um it's my favorite part of a job mm. to be honest seeing it come to life yeah definitely i think now because we've got our process and our factories dialed down um so and you know We've got, we all play our, our factories to, to their strengths. So I know that if I'm going to do denim or if I'm going to do a jacket with a particular factory, that it's going to come back and it's going to look pretty damn good. Yeah. And especially when we've pushed boundaries and done something innovative, it's like mm. a pretty awesome feeling. Yeah, it's cool but we experience. know straight away, right? When something's yeah. super, looking super dope we're all, and we're all hyped, it's a good feeling. Yeah. And we just can't wait to bring it forward. But we have to wait six months usually. Mm. Yeah. And so when, at what point are you starting to do, so we use the, pretty much the pre, the pre-shipping samples, we would use yep. them for Photoshoots. photography. Yep. And so at what point, so say all the 
product arrives. Yeah. What's the process from there? Uh, so we basically were for pre-production samples, uh, which is the sample they use before it goes into bulk production. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we use to do all the photo shoots of the yep. e-com, the website photos. And we do that. And usually they're 100%, some yeah. cases are not. But you know, sometimes we have to peg it or Photoshop it or whatever afterwards in the post-production. But more often than not, it's pretty pretty good, pretty good. And then, um, yeah, so we do all our all our website imagery. We do all our campaign imagery. By the time we do that, the webs, the the goods are on a boat and they arrive into the warehouse. So you'll do all the e-com images in a studio, yep. clean background. Yeah, and we've used the same photographer now for five, six years. Mm. Um, and then we will get it all clear cut, all yep. the images clear cut. Yeah. Um, the digital team will prep all the images for the yep. website. And yeah, write the descriptions, write the descriptions, yeah, all of the that dimensions, the size charts. Yeah, upload it onto at what point do we do the editorial? We pretty much do it same day or a day after we do the ecom, mm. the website photos, just because we're in that flow. Yeah, so we kind of like um, compile it all and just do it because it takes up a lot of time. And since you're in that campaign photography state of mind frame mm. of mind it's best to just knock it off all mm. in one go and it's really easy to just photo um photograph a lot of the collection um in a studio where it looks yeah. really clean and easy but then obviously if you keep doing that everything starts to look very similar and yeah, so that sure. editorial the the role the editorial shoot plays is very important yes and how do you go about that choosing a theme for that yeah. the environment the models yeah 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 it's a good point i think we um it all kind of comes to planning obviously if you do like an outdoor outdoor themed editorial every month that can be the same problem as just doing it in the, studio. It in the studio every yeah. month so what we do is we kind of alternate it so we try to do about four four bigger larger campaigns every year and in our cam campaigns what we're trying to do is convey the lifestyle about mm. who the i love ugly person is and what they believe in and this and that say for example the previous one we did last month you know we just did that at my house we got you know we carefully curated all the books the guys were reading mm um like all the artwork all the decor all the mm. garments and we actually got two different models to represent different types of demographics who shop with us and we got the older guy but i get essentially what we're trying to do is like the the clothing itself is aspirational we try to make people feel really good in the campaigns we try to make it super aspirational so when people um you know wear our wear our clothes and engage with our brand they feel inspired you know, they feel like they, they've had a level of achievement. So we try to do those types of campaigns four times a year. Yeah. And then we also do campaigns that are just a little bit more conceptual, arty, mm. um, you know, not, not too overthought. The main primary focus is the clothing. Let's say, for example, we shot January last week, January collection. Yeah. We didn't do a campaign. We just did like an editorial in the studio. We changed the background. We made it kind of fresh, mm. kind of icy, cool gray kind of colors and there's no real crazy theme behind it didn't overthink it we just did something kind of cool and things like that so do you ever get a collection where you've photographed it and you're like shit i don't know if this is gonna fire um i haven't had obviously that. the amount of collections that you've put out yeah do you do you have a pretty good gut feeling of how well a collection's gonna go yeah i think so i think so but at the same time you never know exactly yeah. 
sometimes the ones that you think sometimes we get a random product that just goes bananas and sometimes you get a product that we all love and you know bet the house on and it just flops but i think since i like a few years ago i really separated myself from the design process i was more just creative which is hugely important yeah hugely important and i felt i lost um I almost like lost that connection with a product. So I was coming and doing editorials. I was like, fuck, I don't really, this almost doesn't even feel like I Love Ugly. Yeah. But now since I'm fully part of that process from plan to designing to the actual editorials, I kind of know, I know the products like the back of my hand and I'm, I've really familiarized myself throughout the whole process. Um, but yeah, sometimes you get stuff and you're like, oof, but to be honest, it's happened less now because because of our whole auditing transparency process and the planning Absolutely. has helped mitigate a lot of, mm. I think, I believe a lot of mistakes and that's why we've grown as a result of it. How important are obviously the the systems when you've got, you know, collections happening every month, you're, you essentially each month you have a different collection in six different stages, right? Yeah. Something like that. And so how important are building the systems around that and how long did it like how long did it take to actually build them and refine them and get them to a level where you're like, okay, we can do this collection every single month now yeah. with ease? Um, it took it took probably well, at any given stage we had a system like mm. we had to. Yeah. Um, but I feel Are now, you constantly trying to improve it? Constantly, man. Like, you know, you know this better than anyone. We're constantly looking at ways of improving, not just in our product, mm. but everything. But the system is like if you don't have a system, you're running around like a headless chicken. Yeah. When you're running around like a headless chicken, yeah. you're basically compromising quality because your lack of organization means you can spend less time on doing something. And when you spend less time on doing something, it's not gonna be as good as mm. it could be. So I think like a system is the backbone to the business. And I think fashion is so complicated, multifaceted, um, just so, so many different elements it needs to you need it like any business right you need to have a wow oiled machine mm. and a, or amazing system because the thing is is like by creating a system it's almost like you're creating um a playground to be creative and create the best work i think for us is like yeah our system's pretty like i'd say it's pretty dialed it could always be better yeah. and probably like our it can always be better always be better always be better but and saying that you know it's december mm busiest time of the year um sales are twice as much as they are previous months and we're all pretty chilled out you know? yeah 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 and we've, we've got everything in this everything in the pipe you know we've got everything in the sampling up until june 2020 yeah and like you know we're processing double triple four times more orders than we usually would and we're not running around and i think that's testament to our systems mm. being being strong um and just but at the same time as well you can have great great systems but if you lack communication in a team that system can fail because end of the day it's human beings that run that system so for us you know obviously communication having great you know clear goals and objectives about why we're doing things and if anything's going to go like in it at the same time as well when you've got humans handling things there's going to be errors yeah so we're just like and things can be delayed factories can screw things up like you know, um, courier comp like freighting companies can be backed up. Like a lot of things can go wrong and they do go wrong, but it's almost creating a system to be able to handle that and withstand mm. that and being on your toes constantly. Like we're constantly improvising things and mm. doing, th- like our watches, for example, you know, that was a month late 
and it's like we had already projected and planned for the watches to come at a certain date and they didn't there's yeah. a gap and it's like okay how do you deal with that you need to have a system in place with that so mm. but if you didn't have a system it just would have been it just would have come whenever so absolutely yeah but um yeah. how do you because we're offering to a global audience obviously you've simultaneously got different hemispheres yeah. wanting different types of clothing yeah how do you balance that in the design process um catering for northern hemisphere and southern hemisphere yeah i think i think what 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 we do is we there's obviously peak times in different seasons so say for example november is a real peak time for the southern hemisphere where it gets really hot like and it's also very it's a very gift buying season so you're getting a lot of purchases under a hundred dollars because you got mums buying for their sons mm. but at the same time it goes very cold in the northern hemisphere as well so we cater to that we make sure that we've got certain amounts of jackets and mm. we've got a, a ton of shorts for the southern hemisphere and that's just once again it's just all part of a merch planning so it's nothing yeah. really different we just know that you know there's going to be four times a year where the seasons majorly change and we're just going to make sure that we're offering products to cater to those those core seasons obviously since we've got new zealand retail stores um people are more inclined to purchase more expensive things in retail stores because they can try it on mm. so in our new zealand australia southern hemisphere winters we we have a deeper jacket outerwear offering because people come in and not expect not afraid to spend three four hundred dollars on a jacket because they can try it on whereas an american a u.s customer buying a jacket three four hundred dollars online it, there's a lot of risk in that you know yeah. they have to pay taxes import duties uh there's also the possibility of it not fitting and then needing to send it back so we just cater our um yeah we just adjust our jacket ordering for that season to be a little bit less because they buy less jackets you know mm. just because it's a bit more risky so but yeah once again it's just planning and experience and just knowing knowing certain things so but it is definitely a challenge so we've released the collection to the yep. customers it's on the racks and the stores it's online um on the website yeah then what's next after that uh so it's basically launching it so creating for pre-hype hmm. launching it to market giving it to our customers and make making sales so it's like sales sales hat is on so obviously this is something where you're deeply involved like we need to plan like everything to a t so we use like apps like Trello, mm. which are amazing ways to, and Slack to communicate and create flows of what we're doing. But it's even a question for you, bro. It's like, we we kind of launch it. It's like, you've got now, it's now it's a matter of distribution, right? Yeah. All the clothes have been designed, they've been made, you've got all the campaign imagery. Mm. And now what do you do? Obviously we, I'm still deeply involved in this process, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's good hearing it from you. So what we would do typically say we get a collection of 10 15 different items we would in the background on the website we have a lot of different um, targeting pools and so if a customer goes on and looks at a certain hoodie he will um, then be tagged with a certain hoodie interest and then so whenever a new product will come out if you are interested in so say the slim kobe pant if you've been looking at them or if you've bought them then and we put out a new slim kobe you're going to be sent those the, the new slim kobe's because we know that you're interested in them and then so there's a lot of different ad strategies that we have so there's also pushing the collection as a whole so you'll be just pushing all of the product and just letting everybody on our 
on our list know that, yep, we've got a new collection rolling and so we'll also be sending out mailers, which is really, really big and really important for us. That's kind of always been like a lifeblood of an e-commerce business is your email list. And the reason why that's so important is because you control them. If you're on, say, a platform like Facebook or Instagram, then um, you know, you're at the mercy of their platform. But with the email list, you've always got those emails and you can move them around whenever you want. And so that always generates a massive amount of our traffic um, and getting people to the site. And then on top of the ad strategy, you've got basic retargeting. If people are looking at the product, they're gonna be sent new product or complimentary product or if they haven't checked out, different things like that. And then we'll do things like desktop notification. Like if you go to our website on a fresh browser, it'll say Isle of Ugly wants to send you a notification. And so when we release a new collection, you're on your little desktop, you'll get a notification being like, Isle of Ugly's released a new collection. Mm. And how, how many people do we have on that now? So we did that about six months ago. I think that's around, it's around 10,000. Wow. We've got about 10,000 different people. Yeah. And so there's constantly these new different ways of talking Engaging, to your customer. For sure. Um, but they all have different levels of importance yep. and you've got to treat them all separate and, separate and really, really different because um, the way a customer interacts on a certain platform can be completely different to yep. another. Yep. And so say um, SMS, so text marketing is becoming pretty good at the moment um, because you know if you're getting a text message, you know, the re the open rate the open that. rate on that yeah. is you know 199 uh, yeah, yeah over 95 percent yeah but then it's also way more personable yeah. because they're not used to getting text sure. messages from businesses and it can be quite invasive as well absolutely and so if you're sending too many text messages people are going to get pissed off a For lot sure. faster than in an inbox because yeah. in the email inbox people have been getting you know, they have, there's a dedicated spam folder yeah, for sure. in your inbox. And, and it's just socially accepted. Absolutely. And so people, you know, like people will have an email inbox that has 10,000 yeah, yeah. unread emails because that's just where they get sent all their junk. Sure. So email is really important and SMS texting has become quite important. Yep. Um, depending on the country that they're in, mm. um, it can be a lot more expensive. So in the US, the rates are really, really well, yep. but in New Zealand, it's super yeah. duper expensive because we're located. Yeah. And so a bunch of different platforms like that, ad spend um, on different platforms, um, the mailer, no yep. desktop notification, SMS, yep. getting into all of those things. That's probably our key those are our key yeah. different so pretty much while we're while we're doing this mm. uh developing a collections and bringing it to market we're basically hustling on the side absolutely getting like just growing these these different lists right yeah. so that way when we're ready to ready to roll with mm. a collection mm. that list is the goal is for the list to have grown and new people to come through and be presented products absolutely yeah because pr pretty much no matter what way a customer interacts with you, you'll see this when you go on any any good website. If they, you can tell how good their marketing team is if you are getting, if you're seeing them pretty yeah. pretty soon after that yeah. you've just left their website. Yeah. Um, and obviously, with the targeting these days on um, advertising platforms, it's pretty Advanced. somewhat invasive. Yeah. Um, but just it's 
most of it's pretty legal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like it's just really, really accurate. Yeah, for sure. And really, really strong. And so yeah. you can, as I said, you can know the strength of a marketing team or a business when you yeah. keep seeing them everywhere. And how much is it? Because I know we're real big on that as well. Is like how much is too much? Because obviously right yeah. now we're in December, so we're heavily doing transactional marketing, mm. but it's a heavily transactional yeah. part of the year. But how much, obviously you can't do, or for us anyway, we know we can't do that too much, but mm. what's the balance? Like I know the answer to this, but it'll be interesting yeah. for you. What's the balance between giving value-based brand kind of content mm. and then also uh, actually just telling them, okay, new collection, new yeah. pants, new colors, blah, I think blah, blah. it comes down to how the brand was built right like you can get some businesses out there that have purely been built off um social advertising you know and that's just their bread and butter they're yep. a business that they don't have the time the resources to build these massive campaigns to yep. build these videos to build content yeah um so to get their product out there they just have to slam people with the product yeah um but the problem with that is is when the relationship is purely built off just product yeah if somebody can offer a similar product for a better price, there's I'll no jump ship. Yeah. yeah, there's no real loyalty there. Yeah. And so the importance of doing non-product content is, um, for us anyway, is absolutely massive because it's you want to be engaging with your customer beyond just the product. Mm. Like that's a that's one of our biggest questions that we ask in our digital marketing team is how are we constantly engaging with our customer without even talking about for product sure. and yeah. how. And in that, how are we adding as much value to mm. their life totally. as absolute possible? Yeah. And then the more we do that, and so that drives like you'll notice that in a lot of our marketing is we'll be pushing this content that has nothing to do with um, clothing. Yeah. And the reason for that is because if we can continue to engage with these people, we're building relationships. Yeah. You know, if somebody's yep. just trying to sell you stuff all the time, you're not building yeah, yeah, a very yeah. good relationship. That's with why, them. like, everybody shuts the door on those salesmen that turn yeah, up exactly. on the front door because they're only there for your money anyway. For sure. But if we're if we're constantly trying to add value, then people are more willing to stick with us in hard yeah. times. They're more willing to spend their money with us, yeah. even if our items could be more expensive yeah. than another brand because they have this loyalty to us. And then, um, you know, all the articles that we put out, the podcasts that we put out book recommendations all these different things yeah if we can make an impact on somebody's life you know if we can recommend a book to a customer and then that book ends up changing their life mm. that's absurd yeah, you know man. that's a customer Definitely. for life they're and gonna then, be like yeah and then when they need a, a t-shirt or a hoodie yeah 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 when they us. need a blank when they need like an easy white t-shirt yeah they're gonna buy i love ugly for one sure. because they just want to rip that brand yeah. so just based on um Based on that word value, it's kind of like a bit of a buzzword. Mm. How does a, and I might be deviating a little bit here, but it's kind of interesting anyway. Mm. How does uh, how does a brand discover what their value is? Yeah, I guess it's, it's all about, so a lot of this, probably one of the biggest people that promote this type of marketing, this value-based marketing is Gary Vee. And so he, like he literally came out with a book called Jab, 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 Right Hook. Yeah. And so that basically just means give value, give value, give value, give value, and then ask, ask so, them to buy. Yeah. And so value-based marketing can be really weird. You can see some companies that are just, you know, completely, they've understood the concept, but they're just giving value that doesn't really relate yeah, to sure. their actual brand. And so for us, we are we do portray more of a lifestyle brand and within that 
it is this this push for personal development yes. for self improvement mm-hmm. and so that concept itself has a lot of different arms to it below it and so we can offer you know different so many different things that are still within that realm and um, obviously it's different for every single business but that's kind of this you know this area that we've seen a ton of potential of the ways we can add value to our customer and so Mm. the different things like the articles as we talked about the podcast all these different things it's like and even our campaigns it's like live like this Absolutely. Yeah, live with a tidy space that you have pride in. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that recent campaign um, that you talked about earlier in November that we've used for November and December. So the people looking at listening to this podcast, if you go back through our Instagram, you'll be able to see this kind of emphasis on over November, December, this emphasis on not just showing cool clothes because yeah. anybody can show cool clothes. Yeah. But it's what goes beyond that yeah. you know if you can see yourself in that environment you yeah. know reading that book you know yeah. working on yourself making sure. those beats yeah doing all these different tasks I you're know. like i can see myself doing that yeah um and it just goes it goes so beyond so cha- far beyond clothing and it changes the way you feel as well which is super important absolutely so yep. when you wear our logo it's like you're yeah. it's you're you're representing like a movement yeah. or a way of li- lo- a way of living absolutely it's yeah. a, all about evoking an emotion yeah yeah, for sure. Right. Man. And so with all this different value-based content, it's like if you can create a reaction in a customer yeah. where it actually stirs something inside of them emotionally, mm. you know, that's going to create an, a massive impact in mm. their lives and it's only going to do wonders for, for sure. the brand. And the crazy thing is as well, and we always, you know, sometimes we have some internal conflicts about this as well, about <laughs> the long tail versus the short tail. Because mm. a lot of what you're talking about I'm 100% behind and mm. I, obviously that's why you, you can, and me have It can worked. be too much though. Yeah, it can be too much. And also we've been stung with that as well. Yeah. But I think um, it's very, it's sometimes very difficult to quantify yeah. everything what you're saying and yeah. actually ju- for it to be justified that it's actually working and shifting the yeah, needle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you know if what you're doing is actually working? Because sometimes we can do Absolutely. these amazing campaigns. We can spend... Yeah, you know, hundreds of hours and a lot of thousands of dollars on this podcast. But how do you actually mm. know that it's actually going to be working or eventually? Because the end of the day, it's like we're a business. We need to be profitable. We need to make money. Yeah. How do we know that eventually it's going to make money? Yeah, it's all. I think it just comes down to balance, right? It's like you can't just put all your eggs in that one basket. Yeah. And so you have to have, you know, obviously we we all see, and it depends on the people who are running the show you know do they have a belief in this this way that we're doing it for sure you know in the long tail and if they have that you've got to be able to have people that buy into what you're doing yeah yeah um but then on the flip side of that you also have to have somebody else like our ops manager who can come look at what we're doing and say okay that's cool creating all this long tail value-based content but how you know what are the strategies that we're ensuring in the short term mm. are going to be keeping us afloat? Yeah, it's going to be the revenue. bridge between now and then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it's it's really hard to find that balance. Yeah. Um, but I think the environment um, and who you have in the team mm. um, is probably the most important part of that. Yeah. But not everything has an ROI. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. I agree. Gary V says, you know, what's the ROI of your mother? Yeah, you know some things. <laughs> some things are just hard to measure. Yeah, um, but you but can. Esen- but yeah. essentially, like at the end of a day, or at the end of a quarter of a yeah. year, 
like the aim yeah. of the game is to grow over there are a whole bunch of metrics yeah a whole bunch of metrics and you just have to have your finger on the pulse really yeah. like as the digital leading the digital team it's like every single interaction of our that our customer has on every single platform we need to be reviewing that yeah um as as much deep detail mm. as we possibly yeah. can on Instagram, yeah. on Facebook, on Twitter, on yeah. our website, on Google Analytics, on every single platform that tracks any any single metric. Because you know we're putting we put a lot of um, not all the eggs, but we put a lot of eggs in this in this basket of mm. this long tail adding value. And so, you know, it's my job to literally come up mm. with metrics that do indicate sure. might, they might not be perfect but they will indicate um you know this is helping our bottom line yeah you know, this yeah. is increasing revenue Definitely. this is um building acquisition into the company yeah and so yeah it's it's tough but you can get there and it's all about how deep you want to go in the yeah, tracking i agree it's so fascinating even for listeners just to just to even just kind of talking about this with you as well just the amount of time and how in depth we need to go mm. once the garments are in. Yeah. I think we're foolish to think that once you've got it, just put a photo on Instagram and yeah, yeah, hope, there's ho- so hope much to God. To it. But it's actually it's actually not. We're, a lot of the decisions we make, both in our marketing and our product, mm. are dictated from data, mm. the way people are engaging with it, what people are looking at and what people are buying. And I think it's also like a real foundation of everything we do is, oh, is the data part. Yeah, is, it all comes even, back to you've got to have all that data there. You've got to be looking at it, but then you've also got to be measuring how strong the correlation is yeah. of all those metrics to increasing the most important part, which is revenue for the business. Yeah, for sure, man. Definitely. Yeah, cool, man. So that's basically a bit of a wrap up of the process the from system. start to finish. Yeah. Is there anything else? Anything Not on else? my end. On my own, but basically, just for listeners as well, is what we're what me and Will are talking about here. We're doing at any given time, there's six different collections that are at six different stages of the process of that process. We're doing this, it's hectic, it's yeah, it's very hectic. So, um, but yeah, man, that, that was cool, that was fun. It's always good to kind of look at it because I'm already thinking about a whole bunch of things which we can improve on. So, oh, absolutely, the yeah. list, the, the list never stops. Yeah, awesome. Thank you everybody for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and found any type of value, please subscribe to our podcast, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review on iTunes to be in the draw to win a $200 I Love Ugly gift voucher. We will be drawing a winner monthly. Good luck and see you on the next episode.